Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Anoush, and on today's special episode of the New Statesman podcast, we're looking at the Tiverton and Honiton by-election. And I'm delighted to be joined by our business editor, Will Dunn, for his debut on the New Statesman podcast. Welcome, Will. Hello. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks very much for coming on. Now, you have been reporting in the constituency last week and you grew up in Devon as well. So you have a very good idea of the lay of the land. Is that right? Yeah, I was born in Devon. I uh, grew up there and uh, I lived there until I was 18. And then like Many people then moved out to go to university and also remained out of Devon, although it's a very beautiful and lovely place. It's not somewhere that has a lot of jobs or a very diverse economy for, for, for new graduates. So off I went, but then I go back a lot and still know it very well and very interested to see how the county was preparing to vote. And were you hamming up your Devonian credentials when you were there? When I was in Wakefield, I was with our videographer, Phil, and he's from Huddersfield and I noticed a noted Yorkshire thickening of his accent every time we approach people for a Vox Pop. I did. I did go <laughs> slightly west in my accent, yes. <laughs> and so what did you find? Because essentially for any of our readers that haven't been following this, this is a sort of true blue Tory constituency with a majority of over 24,000. The by-elections come up because Neil Parrish, the long-time Tory MP for the seat, admitted to watching Porn twice in the House of Commons um, and resigned over that scandal. And now the Lib Dems are targeting it. And I haven't been to the seat, but I've spoken to a few sources and they seem very upbeat about their chances of winning the seat. Is that a fair sort of overview? Yeah, it does have a very large Tory majority. And Neil Parrish was very popular as local MP. He was chair of the DEFRA Select Committee. So he was seen as a good representative of the agricultural industry in in Parliament. And, and he had a great excuse. He was just looking for tractors. Everyone believed that, and that's fine. The people that we were looking for were conservative voters who had vote, voted conservative all their lives and were shocked by either that scandal or by Partygate and were therefore considering a protest vote against the Tories by swinging to the Lib Dems. That is 
what the Lib Dems are hoping for, clearly, for at least some of their vote. But we found those people quite hard to find on the street. There were a number of people who said to me, I'm voting for Boris Johnson. I checked with these people if they could name the Conservative candidate, and a few of them couldn't. The Conservative candidate, I should say, it seemed to be being kept under wraps to a certain extent. I wasn't able to speak to her in person or on the phone, which is fairly typical of some by-election candidates. But there there weren't a lot of people, Conservative voters, or in fact Lib Dem or Labour voters, who seemed particularly to be basing their decision on Partygate. Right, that's so interesting because we spoke about the Wakefield by-election on the last episode of the New Statesman podcast and it was coming up on the doors actually even when I was shadowing the Conservative campaign door knocking people were bringing it up unprompted. That's interesting that it didn't play as much on on voters minds that you spoke to in Tiverton and and Honiton. So if that wasn't sort of at the front of people's minds what were the main issues that, that they were bringing up? The economy was the big one. I think it's an area in which people feel inflation, particularly the kind of inflation that we're experiencing at the moment quite quickly, I think, because the kind of inflation we're having at the moment is based heavily on on energy prices. First of all, it's an area where people drive a lot. There's very little public transport, bus services are quite limited. And also you've got the agricultural industry is obviously quite reliant on the price of fuel and fertiliser. So you, you have a lot of areas where people will feel the kind of inflation we're having at the moment very quickly. And I think that worries people much more than what's going on in Westminster. And you've written a great piece about this, which I encourage all of our listeners to go and read. It's in this edition of the magazine, but it's also online. The headline is, Will Devon's Conservative Voters Abandon Old Loyalties? And actually, you go and meet a local farmer because farming is a big industry in the constituency. What did you hear from him? So he he was complimentary about Neil Parrish. As I said, I think he was quite liked by farmers. One of the big uncertainties for farmers around the country at the moment is, of course, Brexit. Lots of promises were made. And there, there is a bit of a misconception that farmers all voted for Brexit and now regret it. The polling by Farmers Weekly, I think it was, showed that the Brexit vote among farmers was around 53%, I think, on the bigger polls that they did, which is pretty much exactly what the Leave vote was in Tiverton and Honiton, and obviously pretty similar to the country as a whole. But I think there is quite a strong feeling among farmers now that trade deals are being done very quickly, which is a worry for them because they're they're concerned that that could lead to an influx of cheaper produce into the country just at the point where the UK is basing its subsidy regime on environmental stewardship. And that could mean that the UK farmers are producing higher welfare or more environmentally sustainable produce that has to be much more expensive. And people in the UK are, especially with the economy going the way it is, buying lower welfare, less environmentally sustainable produce from Australia or New Zealand or anywhere where we're trying to make a trade deal with. The that, the subsidy regime is also part of that. So it's not clear to farmers. I've spoken to exactly what they're going to get. There is increased bureaucracy and there is a period of uncertainty. It may be that 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 works out and they, you know, after a a period of uncertainty, they get better payments for farming that they would rather do. But the farmer that I spoke to in Tiverton and Honiton said, in this industry, we plan years ahead, sometimes decades ahead. 
and at the moment we don't have the facility to do that because we don't know exactly how much money we're going to get for things and how much things are going to cost. And so is that changing the way that these farmers might vote? Did you get any sort of idea of whether or not it was having a, a political impact, this frustration? I think it could do, yeah. Yeah, I th- because I think although the the Brexit vote may not have been as strong as some people might think about among farmers, I think they are generally a fairly a fairly good constituency for the Tories. But I, yeah, that, that could well be changing. The problem that farmers have in terms of political influence is that there aren't that many of them. There are many more people work for Tesco than than work on farms. Hi, it's Anoush here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to The New Statesman with a very special offer. You can subscribe for just a pound a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. We'll be right back. If you're enjoying our audio long reads, you might also like the New Statesman's international news podcast, World Review. Twice a week, the international team unpack the most significant stories in world affairs and interview special guests for their unique perspective and expertise. Get better informed with World Review, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. So the wider story of constituencies like Tiverton and Honiton is the relationship between rural voters and the Conservative Party. So we've had some really interesting exclusive polling with our polling company that we partner with sometimes, Redfield and Wilton Strategies. And that polling shows that just 19% of British voters associate the Conservatives as being a party of the countryside, whereas 46% associate the Greens with that. 14% associate the Lib Dems with the countryside, so it's still more for the Conservatives. But it's an interesting shift. And actually, Ben Walker, our polling expert, who couldn't speak to us today, but he's written some brilliant pieces about this theme. He's written about how rural voters are turning on the Tories on his State of the Nation polling and data website. Will, do you get the impression that sort of strong relationship between rural voters and the Conservatives is changing? You grew up in a rural part of Britain and you must have you must have grown up knowing a lot of Conservative voters at the time and you must have seen a shift when you've been going back home. Yeah, I do think it's changing. I think in the West Country in particular, it's always been an area in which it's been possible for a local issue to bring in some independence in local elections. In Honiton, as Ben wrote in his excellent piece on our State of the Nation 
website. The, the In the last local elections, more than half of the wards went to non-conservatives. A couple of those were Lib Dems, but a lot of them were from were independents who were part of the East Devon Alliance. So it's possible for, and in, in fact, in the constituency in which I grew up in Newton Abbott, a local planning issue led to three people who opposed that planning, the housing development getting onto the council. It's an area to which people move for quality of life. And when they see things like very large housing developments or environmental issues that could go against what they've moved there for, then people can change their minds fairly quickly. And I think our listeners should go and have a look at the maps that Ben's drawn of this. The piece is called, Will the Conservatives Lose the Tiverton and Huntington By-Election? And he's compared those votes for individual wards in Tiverton to those in North Shropshire, which of course the Lib Dems won off the Tories in a surprise result in a previous by-election. And nearly all of those ward seats had been Tory, whereas in Tiverton there seems to be more of a more of a proclivity to vote for independent candidates, as you've said. And I was speaking to someone inside the Lib Dem machine who was saying, actually, in the West Country, it's interesting because you do, even though Tiverton and Huntington has never been a Lib Dem seat, you do have liberal heritage in the area. Of course, lots of Cornish constituencies were Liberal Democrat in sort of recent memories, and they were describing sort of Tiverton and Huntington as one of these places where people still refer to the Liberal Democrats as the Liberals. And so there is that tradition there. People do know that sort of that is a party that you can vote for. Is that fair to say? I think so to a certain extent, although I would point out that the Lib Dems have not become better than third in the constituency since 2010. So when I spoke to the Labour candidate, the, I guess the Labour candidate would say this, but she was quite, and I think understandably, a bit annoyed that in general this by-election is being set up as a fight between the Conservatives and the Lib Dems when in the last general election she came second with 11,000 votes. And to a certain extent that is the unspoken fight of this by-election is the fight between the Lib Dems and Labour because the Lib Dems are trying to persuade those 11,000 Labour voters to lend them their vote in order to deliver a message to the Tories. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because the sort of narrative of this by-election is that the Lib Dems are parking their tanks on the Tories' lawn and trying to get disaffected Tory voters to vote for them. But actually, they need to nick those Labour votes. And they've been taking encouragement from Ben Bradshaw, the only Labour MP in Devon who has hinted that Labour voters ought to vote for Lib Dems in this by-election to try and unseat or try and get the try and get the Tories out. And then you also have this feeling of almost relief among some Lib Dem activists that I've spoken to that Keir Starmer is leader. Because if you have a sort of less frightening Labour leader in terms of the perceptions of the public, so someone like Keir Starmer over Jeremy Corbyn, then people are more likely to lend their votes. Tories are more likely to lend their votes to the Lib Dems because they don't fear a Labour government as much as they would in the same way as if Corbyn was leader. So that's really interesting. And so the Lib Dems have been watching the long, long Corbyn effect very closely to see how how much voters Tory voters are still afraid of a Labour government. So that's another aspect of the sort of Labour, the Labour dimension of the seat that the Lib Dems have to tackle. Yeah. And I should say, I think based purely on the people that I spoke to, it did seem that there were definitely Labour voters who were switching in some numbers to the Lib Dems. So I think they do have a chance at that. But I, yeah, I do think that to a certain extent that also robs 
the some people in that constituency of the opportunity to vote on anything other than whether or not they think Boris Johnson should continue to be prime minister and that at a time of the of what looks like a fairly serious economic downturn a time when there are significant environmental issues that, that, that are affecting that area i think that's that could possibly not be the best thing for democracy in that area no that's right and we do as a media have a tendency to cover these by-elections as if they are referendums on leadership or on on the prime minister and actually part of the story of seats like this is that they do feel in some areas that they have been taken for granted. The narrative, of course, in recent years, especially in the last general election, was targeting and winning those red wall seats like Wakefield that changed hands to from the Labour Party to the Tories. There is an idea among Lib Dem campaigners that they can push this idea that Boris Johnson is too focused on the North and the Midlands and therefore is turning his back on those more traditional Southern seats. We talk about the blue wall. Of course, this isn't really a blue wall seat. I think when we say blue wall, we're talking more about those more affluent, perhaps home counties, suburban commuter beltish seats where where voters are put off by Brexit and perhaps have been inching uh, away from the Conservatives in the last few years. Tiverton and Hunterton is obviously a different demographic makeup, a leave voting seat. But it is one of those southern seats that perhaps feel that they're being taken for granted by this sort of new narrative. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting seat. I think also when you read Ben's piece, it's got maps of the two constituencies in it, but it's it's quite a long, thin constituency. And mm. if you look at it within a map of of Devon, and it it goes from the kind of the centre of the county out to the coast, so it covers quite a lot of the it, different areas. And I guess it demographically and economically, it covers quite a lot of the inequalities that you see. Within mm. within the West Country and perhaps within some of these not quite blue wall areas, in that you have people, you have fairly large areas of manufacturing, but you also have fairly large numbers of wealthy retirees who might have moved there from somewhere else, and you have a so you have a lot of different competing interests, and quite a it's quite a economically diverse slice of the country and for that reason probably quite difficult to campaign in and quite difficult to predict. Mm. And because you've used the word predict, (laughs) I'm going to be unfair (laughs) and ask you, I mean, it's a stupid question, but really what do you think, what's your sense, what do you think will happen in this seat? So I should first make a disclaimer that almost everything I predict, I I get it wrong. And (laughs) so... My almost certainly wrong prediction is that the the Lib Dems will be able to make a significant dent in the Conservative majority, but it is a a real mountain to climb in terms of votes. And based on a very small sample size of the number of people that I spoke to who still said they were voting, voting Tory because they saw it as a national vote and their own kind of vote of no confidence or confidence i think there will be enough people to to help them hang on to the seat but as i say i could work very well be wrong well it's nice for you to bring that raw honesty to the new statesman podcast in your first outing on it and we hope that you will come back and speak to us again thanks so much will thank you so much So before you go, I've got some exciting news. We're thrilled to launch our New Statesman app this week, which is available in the App Store and Play Stores now. We would say this, but it really is a thing of beauty. You can now enjoy our award-winning journalism from both print and online within the app, 
but you can also listen to all of our New Statesman, World Review and Long Reads podcasts within it, toggle between international and UK editions and check out our striking photography and illustrations. So as soon as you finish listening to this, download it and enjoy the New Statesman on your mobile or tablet in the very best way possible. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shekelian, and my colleague, Will Dunn. We're produced by Adrian Bradley, and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks so much for listening, and don't forget to leave us a nice review and subscribe. Subscribe.